Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to the world of priesthood dispatches, where we tell your stories from the front lines of high demand religion. Hi everyone and welcome back to the channel. I'm PD. Uh, please like and subscribe, share this video wherever you feel comfortable. I've just got off a call with Valerie Hoyle, who was fantastic. Her story, she's amazing. Um, she's a lass from Rochdale, which in, is in Northern England. She, she lives near the greatest place in God's own country uh, that is called Yorkshire. Not quite in Yorkshire, so close, but so far, Valerie. Um, but let's get to her story now. Some of the volume might be up and down a little bit. We had a few audio issues during, but hopefully it will be spot on. So Valerie, can I ask, how did you become a member of the church? Well, I became a member of the church two and a half years after my mother did because she worked in a factory as a weaver and the man said, asked her, well, my mother was a Sunday school superintendent at the Church of England, and she used to talk about it because she loved working with children. And um, my mother was also a dancer. I never said that. <laughs> she was a choreographer and dancer. <laughs> anyway, so this man said to her, you, you look like an intelligent woman. Would you like to hear about the Mormon church? And my mother said, well, tell me a little bit. And he said, well, I'll just tell you a bit, but I could send the sister missionaries to you. And, um, and and he had to explain what they were, you know. So they 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 went to her. At the time, actually, they taught about the marvellous work. They taught out of the marvellous work and the wonder. Okay. So, so at the time, that's what my mother joined church after we've been studying a lot of that. And um, I joined, I was allowed to be baptized when I was 12, which was two and a half years later, because my dad said he didn't, he wanted me to know what I was doing, you know. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I wanted to be baptized because he didn't want me to, <laughs> as children do. Yeah, stubborn. So I was baptized by Stanley Smedley, and I was um, confirmed by um, Joseph Fielding McConkey the son of Bruce R. McConkie, But at the time my mother started studying about the church, she went to her vicar. Um, it was called the Reverend Dr. Peacock. He called him Dr. Peacock. Anyway, he said to my mother, or she went to him and said, Dr. Peacock, um, I started reading about the Mormon church and I've been reading this book of Mormon. Have you heard of it? And he said, yes, I've heard a lot about it. <laughs> I bet, yeah. And I said, oh, what do you think? He said, well, Maureen, um, 
I don't think you know, but before I became a vicar in St. Luke's here, um, I used to be an archaeologist and my field of study was Central and South American um, history and archaeology. He said, and I have read the Book of Mormon, and I want you to know that nothing in the Book of Mormon pertains to my studies in Central and South America. There's nothing that nothing in the Book of Mormon happened in those countries. It just didn't. And and um Matt, he just shook his head because he was just a bit flabbergasted that she would I think that she would believe it, you know, because they were quite close. Anyway, my mother went back to church and to the missionaries and and asked them, told them what had happened and said, um, and they said to her, Well, um, we know a lot more than he does about the Book of Mormon. He does, we have the spirit. He doesn't know what we know about the Book of Mormon. So my mother believed the missionaries, yeah. believed the people of the church, and she joined the church, you know, because of that. She didn't tell me this till about a year or two before she died. And she it was in the throes of the beginning of Alzheimer's. So I think she was thinking of things that used to um that she could remember from years back. And she said to me, What do you think about that? I said, Well, I don't know, Mother, I just laughed. But then she went off into some kind of craziness that she was with her Alzheimer's. But I thought that was a particular interesting story. I love it you how know. at church we automatically assume that the opposition that we, that we know more about a topic than the opposition without ever knowing what the other person actually knows, you know, without yeah. sitting down with them and saying, okay, you explain to me what you know, and then I will tell you if I know more. It's just, no, we, we know far more than he could ever know. Um, whereas... Yeah. It's like missionaries when they say, we'd like to share a message, you know, of, of the gospel, you know, when they post online. Would you like to have a message that might bring love or hope into your life? Well, why do they assume that we don't have it? Yeah. Why yeah. do they assume that we don't know every message? Because, <laughs> as, pre as President Nelson said, you can only experience true joy inside of the church. How rude is he? When I was in Salt Lake, and I went to Sunstone a few times. We was all sat around chatting away during a lunch break, and this elder, he was called something Bassett, I don't remember his name. And I said, I remember you. And he said, What do you mean? He said, I said, I'm from Rochdale. He said, I was on a mission there. I said, I remember you. He says, I said, I was nine and a half when uh, you baptized my mother in the church. <laughs> I said, and I remember you wore a brown suit and brown shoes. How can you possibly remember that? <laughs> so I met the one, the man that actually baptized my mother. Um, and um, after I got baptized, um, Joseph McConkie, my mother was very friendly with the McConkies because she'd read everything Joseph Fielding Smith had written. You know, we had tons of church books, which I also read out of interest because I was just a reader, a voracious reader. And I, I kind of, even at such a young age, as 12 and 13, I wanted to know what it was all about. And um, 
Mom and Doctor was a big book in our house. <laughs> anyway, one day my mother got a telephone call and said, um, from Bruce R. McConkey, because she'd become friendly with them, with the McConkeys and with Amelia, Bruce R. McConkey's wife. And uh, my mother got really excited and said, Bruce R. McConkey's coming for tea. Hey. <laughs> and I said, oh, oh, okay. So they went to the airport to pick him up. They must have flown into Manchester just for tea, right? So he came for tea, and I just thought it odd. You know, he was a very tall man, but after we'd eaten, he, he dropped an apple out of his fruit bowl and ate the whole thing. And, and I said, why did you do that? And he said, well, I don't want, I didn't want to waste any fruit. <laughs> anyway, they went back. Um, my mother took him back in the car to the airport. And um, um, on one visit to America, my mother was talking to Amelia after Bruce died. And, um, and Amelia, they were talking about him, you know, because my mother said how sorry she was. And Amelia said, he just couldn't understand how come he got cancer, you know. He couldn't understand how come he was going to kill him. You know, this was years ago. I think it was, was it colon rectal cancer or something? Something like that, yeah. Something like that. And um, he couldn't understand how come this was going to kill him because he lived a church life all his life and yeah. lived the word of wisdom. He, he just couldn't understand it. It was very upsetting for the family, you know. Yeah, I'm sure I remember a talk before he died where he was speaking about um, God knowing our days and not something about our days not being numbered any less or any more than God means them to be. And maybe that's kind of how he came to terms with it, that it's yeah. God's timing and not his and, and the oath and covenant of the priesthood had done everything it could um, to help him out but yeah, it seems sad Yeah, they actually went to Australia on a mission, the whole family, Bruce and McConkey okay. because they sent us um, I have a boomerang somewhere for him I don't want to get rid of it because my mother treasured this boomerang, you know. That that truly is the stick of Bruce. You have the original yeah. stick of Bruce. It's stuck upstairs in my art room. I have we have a small bedroom that's where I came from. Oh my gosh. If, Valerie, can you bequeath that to me in your will? Um yeah, I'm sure it'll be twenty or thirty years before you slip off this mortal coil, a young lass, but uh, if you can just put put in, priest of dispatches gets the stick of Bruce. That's my one one request live. I want to write on it, stick of Bruce, um, and hang it. I don't think my brothers or any of their family, they, they, they're not sailors or preachers, you know. No. Who knows, one day you might get a package in the store. <laughs> the stick of Bruce, fantastic. People with money got better callings, and both my parents worked, and we lived in a big enough house, and um, we had a car and a telephone and a fridge, which most people didn't. You know? So when they decided who they were going to choose, 
of tongues and all that they don't think it's uh they don't think you need any help they just think that the spirit will do it don't they then they sent me to verona and then <coughs> what did i go then oh then to catania in sicily i flew there and then to Palermo in sicily then to um um taranto in southern Italy, and then to Torino and Milano. Okay. So, yeah. So, so, were missionaries routinely getting called from the UK to leave the UK at the time, or was was that a surprise to you? It was a surprise. I believe I was. I was told I was the first. And then years later, some missionary that was um, English said he was the first to go to Italy, you know, and I don't know. I think I sent him a letter saying, no, you weren't. <coughs> that was kind of funny to me, you know. <laughs> no, you weren't. I love it. Yeah, one of my companions in Taranto was um, Frances Hinckley, Gordon B. Hinckley's niece. She was one of my companions. I don't know what happened to her. Somebody said she was going blind. I don't know what happened to her. And that's where I met my husband in Italy. I met him in Catania in Sicily. Okay. Was he a member there? No, he was an Italian missionary from Seattle. Uh, okay. So I, I guess we kind of flitted as you do. You know, it, 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 there's a bit of chemistry, you know, it, it's inevitable, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. You know. <coughs> so. We wrote to each other a couple of times and then I called the mission president and said, Oh, I've done something really wrong. I've written to that elder Chavera. The <laughs> mission president just laughed at me. He said, Well, don't do it again. <laughs> it was a, it, elder, uh, President Christensen, he was a good president. When I got there, it was President Dunn, whoever he was, because he got sent home for some reason. It was just a bit strange. And then after President Christensen left, it was Hartman Rector who became our president for a short time. Ah, oh, Brother and Rector. 
yeah, yeah, he was interesting. Anyway, um, on the way home from my ex-husband's mission, he got permission to go to Rochdale. So he had to have a travel with companions. So they turned up in Rochdale and my parents are really quite happy to see him. So they sit down after the evening meal and Elder um, <coughs> Chadara asked my parents if he could marry me. <laughs> wow, that's quick. I didn't know he was going to do this, you know, because I, I thought we were just like friends, you know. Yeah. And besides, I, I told you I have ADHD, don't I? Yeah. And so sometimes things don't register in my brain, you know. Or, or, or occasionally, I'm better at it now, I don't see the consequences of my actions sometimes. <laughs> well, I did, I did worse then anyway. So I guess I must have led him on, I don't recall. So my parents said, yes, you can marry her. So, so I get home off my mission and um, my parents told me this. So when are you going to America, they said. Said, I don't have any idea. And they said, Well, is he going to send you the ticket? I said, I have no idea. You know, <laughs> I, I didn't think he came from a wealthy family because his father was a member of the church, but his mother was totally inactive. But and his father his father was of Italian descent, you know. Yeah, but had, <laughs> so he'd asked your parents if he could marry you, but had he asked you to marry him? So you no, he didn't want to break the rules, did he, on his mission? So, so <laughs> how did you find out? Was it from your parents? Yeah, the first night I got home. Oh, my gosh. And my mother said, you better get up early in the morning because you need to go to the fabric shop. And I said, why? She said, to buy material for a wedding dress. So the next day, second day, second day of my mission, we go to the store and buy material the pattern so then I, then i just <coughs> you know when you get off your mission you just kind of feel like you're pushed around yeah you, you don't have much direction because it's an alien wait sorry <coughs> i've got cats and i'm allergic to cats <laughs> Seems seems a, a futile thing to actually have them and be allergic to them. Just it's a stupid thing. Anyway, I've got one here and one cat there. So so it took a few weeks before my mother came to the realization that Carl, uh, they used to call him Paddy, because <coughs> he was half Irish English. Okay. Um, so Till it came to the realization that he wasn't going to send me a ticket because they didn't have any money, right? So, um, um, because I don't think his dad paid for his mission, I think his boy paid for his mission, whereas my mother paid for my mission. Wow, and um, she was a weaver in factory, and she insisted on paying for the mission because that was the right thing to do, you know. Yeah. And it drove us to having a prolapse and being in the hospital. Anyway, so what happened was that um, my mother said, well, I guess I'm going to have to pay because I think she just wanted to get rid of me. 
we just never got along very well, my mother and I. <laughs> wow. Our, our characters were very different, but she did teach me a lot about the church because she just loved to read. And at nine o'clock, that was the time my dad went to bed to read in his book in, in bed, whereas she stayed downstairs and she read all the church books. And therefore, she discussed everything she read with me, you know. So I knew a lot about the church, even more than the missionaries I met on my mission, because I think, why don't they know this and why don't they know that? You know, and then I had a few say to me, well, who told you that? You know, how did you learn those things? I said, well, because my mother taught me, you know, a church book. Yeah. You know, so when eventually I did leave the church, I never had read any anti-Mormon literature. <coughs> I've just read Journal of Discourses. <laughs> That'll do it. <coughs> because visiting my parents at one time, I didn't have anything to do, and somebody bought me a ticket to go and see them when I'd got children then. And um, because I think my parents had sent me a ticket because they thought I needed a rest. And they didn't like the way my husband talked to me. He was very narcissistic and domineering. So they thought they needed a rest. So I had nothing to do. So I read all the books. Anyway, um, so what? I ended up in America, right, with a wedding dress in my bag and not many clothes. So um, I'm sure if the immigration officials had opened your suitcase, that have had a question about your uh, packing style. Yeah, well, actually, when I went to Liverpool to get my American visa, they said, why are you going there? I said, well, I'm going to get married. <laughs> they say, don't anyway, tell the Americans that. <laughs> yeah, it was, you see, it was 1971. Things were a bit different, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, like I got my green card like two weeks after I got married. Wow. Anyway, yeah, real quick. Anyway, so I get there and he says, well, we have to drive to Salt Lake City to get married. And I'm thinking. From Seattle? Yeah, he said, because I've got to join the military, my number's up. It was conscription. Okay. So I went, I went along with everything. I just didn't know what else to do, you know. And I do think, you know, in retrospect, that I actually left because I was running away from my mother. She was very domineering. You know? It sounds like they trafficked you. It's, it's like, it sounds like they trafficked you, like your parents had a uh, an agreement with this fella in America um, that you were yeah. going to go get married. And they just, they, they made you a dress, put you on a plane and said au revoir. Yeah, but you see, I got off on mission and like two or three weeks early because there were a circus of sisters and the mission president said to me, would you like to go on a few weeks early? And I said, yeah. So I called my mother and she says, what did you do to get sent home early? I said, I'm not really getting sent home early, mother. They're the surplus of sisters. So I arrived at the airport and <coughs> walked towards them and they didn't recognize me until I got right in front of them. I'm going back on this, but there's a purpose. So I get in the car and my mother's like, what do you think I should do about Frankie? That's my brother, who's two and a half years younger. And 
who wanted him on a mission ride, my mother did, because my dad didn't join the church then. Um, I said, well, what's the problem? Well, he's got a girlfriend and it's very quite serious. And I said, <coughs> well, why don't you just let him sort it out himself? You know, his problem, let him sort it out himself. I didn't know what else to say. And she says, I should, you should have never come home. I wish you'd have never come home. I should have known better than ask you for advice. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Harsh. But it was all the way home. So you can see why I kind of wanted to leave and why I was propelled into leaving because it was just a nightmare. Those few weeks, well, a month or two that I was at home after the mission because I had no idea how to behave. You know, I didn't know what to say. I changed. I wasn't a scatterbrained. Anyway, so I end up in America and he's and Carl saying, um, yeah, we need to drive to Salt Lake, but we have to drive and not stop in a hotel or anything because we're not married. Oh. So we drove, right. So we drove for 14 hours and we got to Salt Lake, right? And so we had to get our license and everything. And I said, well, my patriarchal blessing didn't say what tribe I was from. So when <coughs> I asked Hartman Rector, the mission president, why did he do that? He says, well, the mission, the patriarch shouldn't have do that. It shouldn't have done that. So when you go to Salt Lake, if you're going, go to the church office building and ask to speak to Elder G. Smith. And I knew he was the church patriarch, and he said, well, he might just interview you then and give you a patriarchal blessing. So I said, okay. So did <laughs> so you get two? Pardon? Did you get two then? Yes. So we get into Salt Lake. We have a few hours to spare before our appointment to get married, which was at 7 o'clock at night. <coughs> and... Um, before we set off, I'd, I have long black hair, right? I'd wash my hair and I'd put it in braids. Because there's nothing to do in the car for all that time. So I just put all these braids in my hair. So we get to Salt Lake and I, my hair's dry, so I take all the braids out. <laughs> so what do I look? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> my hair goes normally. And... Um, so we get him for the, me to see Elder G. Smith and he said, is there a reason why um, you don't have your, um, your tribe? I said, no. And he looked at my hair and I said, I'm not black, you know. <laughs> I said, this is because I put my hair in braids. He said, all right, then good. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's, that's what, you see, that's how I kind of used to be and I'm not quite as I just say whatever came into my mind because I thought he's looking at me I've got a dark skin because I've been in the sun right and um, I've got fuzzy hair so I thought he's going to think I'm black so I just let him go anyway so we got married we, and how many, how many weeks after my mission was that like about 8 weeks and it was about 10 days after I got to America so I'd never really been on a date with Carl before we kind of, <coughs> I'd stayed at his house 
I didn't know him. I didn't know this man, you know. So the first date was so the honeymoon. Then, pardon? Your first date was the honeymoon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of glad because, you know, during the 60s, it was a wild time. So you weren't exactly, um, chastity wasn't in your mind. <laughs> You know, it was it was just a wild time, and um, so I don't know how I would have behaved if we, if we would have shared the hotel room. Do, do you know what I mean? I I don't know if I'd have had any um, restraint because of how the life I'd led for about five years during the sixties. I don't know what I'd been like wow. knowing me. So it, you know, so. If we just Pardon? if we just circle back quickly, two part two patriarchal blessings. Did yeah. was there anything that contradicted one another? No, except <laughs> we told them to dismiss. We were getting married later that evening, and he said in the patriarchal blessing, "One day you will meet someone that will take you to the temple." <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. I think at the time he was kind of like when when I asked if we could see him, he said, sure, I don't have anything to do. I think he was kind of losing his bit, you know, so he didn't remember something. He was a very, very nice man. Yeah, I'm not sure if he was the last one, but soon after they phased out the church patriarch and they don't have one anymore. He was the last one. He, he was. was. It usually was the eldest son, you see, in that line, because it was yeah. a patriarchal But his eldest son was gay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think... I, that was my taste on it. I think they had to get rid of them because um, of... because of the power. Like, they, um, the church patriarch was supposed to have a certain level of power that was equal to the apostles, I guess. Um, and they didn't yeah. like they didn't like that. So they thought, well, we, you know, we, we can't have our power being questioned, so we'll get rid of them. Yeah, it was awful, you know. It's one of the vestiges of the old church. Yeah. So how, lo how long did um, this, this wedding to Carl last? Or not the wedding, but the marriage? 28 years. Wow. I was really expecting you to say just a few months, 28 years. That's so five children, five children, all in the States, or did you come over here? No, one died. Um, oh, I'm sorry, when he was killed in an accident. And um, when I left, I went to Salt Lake because I didn't, I thought he would follow me around. So I left and went, I left him and about the church at the same time and went to Salt Lake. <clears throat> because we'd done 20 years in the military and we got back to Seattle, right, Tacoma. And um, so I stayed with friends and my, I knew I left all the kids, I left everything. And um, <laughs> he stood in the front of the garage. He said, well, what about your stuff? Don't you want any of this stuff? I said, why would I want any of this stuff? <laughs> It was just stuff, do you know what I mean? Yeah. You don't need 
stuff. You just need clothes. And maybe you've got money, you can just buy them. Anyway, a friend of mine paid for my ticket to Salt Lake and I stayed between um, Carol, that was from Rochdale, who was the active and the relief society president, and um, Rita, who was originally from Pimpley in Cheshire, and she's still in America. Anyway, so I stayed between them, and one day they said to me, uh, Carol said to me, you've got to get a job. Because I couldn't function. I've been used to mission, being married. I couldn't function, you know. So one day I just got up. I went out to the house. I got me a flat, and I got a job. I got back late in the afternoon. I said, okay, Carol, I got a job, and I got a flat, so I believe in but I didn't move that way because I was frightened that they were going to follow me, you know, and harass me. Yeah. You know? Because when I worked, at one point I was the manager of a deli and um, he used to follow me, used to wait in the car outside and, and watch me. I didn't know this and my boss, Jim, said to me, what's your husband doing over there? I said, what are you talking about? He said, do you know when you work? Because I used to work six to midnight. He said, he watches you all the time. What? <clears throat> so it scared me. So I thought, I've got to leave, you know. I woke up one morning and I thought, okay, I've had enough of this. I've had enough of the husband. I've had enough of the church. I'm leaving. Enough of this so, bag of spanners. Pardon? Enough of this bag of spanners. Yeah, I've just had enough. Because I'd... I'd got up at the testimony meeting and bought my testimony. So I'm in the middle of talking about Joseph Smith and I start to cry a bit, you know, like people do. And I thought, what's wrong with me? <laughs> I just thought, what's wrong with me? This is ridiculous. So I finished the testimony, sat down and I thought, how weird was that? You know, because I knew at that point that this was all rubbish. I just knew it. You know, it was just... and. People say, well, what did you read? What caused you? I said, I don't know. <laughs> you know? 